0: glad to be here with you all this morning. So, uh, if you do have a Bible, as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, it will also be displayed up on the screen as well if you don't have that in front of you. Uh, 1 Peter is written by Peter, that's where it gets its name from, and Peter is writing to a group of Christians. We're actually not going to read the people to whom he's writing, but if you have your Bibles, you'll see the first couple verses talk about all these places, uh, these people groups that he's writing to. And it's a ton of different places. So normally New Testament books get their titles based on who the letter is written to, but because it's written to so many different people groups over such a wide range, uh, this takes on the name of First Peter. This book is really helpful, I think, because... Uh, like most New Testament books, not every New Testament book, but especially these letters. So you have those Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You have the Book of Acts, which tell about the acts of the apostles. But then from there, most of those New Testament books, which are letters, almost all of them deal with one topic in common. Almost all of them, in some way, shape, or form, deal with suffering, especially what does it mean to suffer as you know, as a Christian. But 1 Peter really stands out. 1 Peter, uh, in this book, Peter writes about suffering in slightly different ways in every single chapter of his book. Because the people he is writing to, they are suffering greatly. and They are suffering numerous ways. And this is how he starts his book. Uh, we obviously won't be going through the book. That would take us way too much time. But Peter here, in, this, in these couple of verses that we're going to read here, he's going to start to address every single topic that he's going to actually cover for the rest of the book. And so this is where I wanted to go today. And the title of the sermon is A Living Hope, because that's what Peter hopes for, that's what he prays for, that's, what, that's how he encourages people, is that in the midst of their suffering, they have a hope that is alive and active, and that can help them in, any, in every circumstance. So with that i'm going to read if you would follow along either on the screen or in your in your own bibles from first peter chapter 1 starting in verse 3 and we're going to go through verse 12. so this is the word of god it says this blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The Bible says the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. So let's go to him and pray one more time. Dear Jesus, uh, may we know what it means to have a living hope. May we know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May you lead us and guide us as we explore what your word means and what it says here this afternoon. We thank you for gathering us together, Lord, we pray uh, and ask for your help and understanding. May it move our hearts and transform our minds. Amen. So, one thing that uh, in studying this passage uh, that I've come to understand is that hope is essential. Hope is necessary for humans. Hope is this anticipation for a future thing that you're not sure if it's going to happen or be accomplished. They move somewhere they want to go, usually away from Minnesota because it's so cold here, uh, usually it's somewhere warmer. Uh, They have these hopes, but sometimes it also reveals other parts of their hearts. Like they hope that they can feel settled. They hope they can feel accepted. They hope they can be known well. Because hope is essential. It's it's longing in anticipation for something you do not yet have. Well, there is a positive side to hope. Hope is always positive. But here, Peter is writing to people who need hope because of the negative side. They are suffering. And they're not suffering just a little bit; they're suffering uh, quite a bit. And Peter does something fairly remarkable here. So, these at the time of, of Peter writing this letter, Christianity is still pretty new. This is still just several years after Jesus was crucified, died, buried, raised to life, and ascended into heaven. So, Christianity is starting to explode and spread. And If you have a Bible and you look in verse one and in verse two, mostly in verse one. He talks about these different areas, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is where the gospel is spreading. So these are very new converts. These are very new people to the faith. And what happens almost immediately as these people begin to suffer because of their faith. And Peter knows well that suffering can be the very thing that draws you away from God. Suffering is that problem or the issue that many people face and wonder, where is God in that moment? So he's encouraging them to be steadfast because suffering can not cause people to fall away, to doubt God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his love. But what is really interesting, what does Peter do in talking about hope in the face of suffering? He doesn't pray or ask that their suffering ends. He actually says, I hope that you are encouraged and given greater strength to face your suffering. Now, that's not a prayer I would want Peter to pray, but that's the prayer that he prays for them. That is his hope. It's not that their circumstances change or get better or that it ends. He says, no, have greater hope in something that is absolutely more powerful than your suffering. Now, that's going to be hard, but I want to talk about this today. Uh, And Peter talks about it in four points. That's what we're going to look at here this afternoon. Um, Four points. It's necessity, hope's necessity, hope's assurance, hope's object, and finally it's growth. Those are the four things we're going to look at here this morning. So first, why is hope necessary? Or why why is Peter talking about the necessity of hope? And that's something I already talked about. Hope is really essential to humans because we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world where everything is somehow... Uh, in some way tainted by, informed by, and shaped by sin. Everything does not work the way it should. And so we long for hope because we want something that is better than what we have. Because what we have now is not as good as it could be, or as good as it should be. And if you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, things are not as good as they were made to be. And we all long for the world and life, and even ourselves, To be the way God has created us to be perfect, whole, and sinless. So this is actually one of the easiest... I've preached a lot of sermons. This might be the easiest point I've ever had to make. Uh, Maybe the easiest. uh, You need hope, and hope is essential. I think we all feel that. I don't think that takes much convincing. That we all need this. Peter describes their, um, their trials as various trials under grieved by them. These are people who are suffering greatly. And I have this quote, which I actually don't have written in my notes. I'm going to have to read it from the screen. But um, uh, this guy by the name of W.J. Webb writes this article on suffering. And this is what he says. He actually takes it from 1 Peter. He says, Peter is not... um, The suffering that's described here is not caused by official state persecution. So it's not that the state has made... Christianity illegal, they will later, the Roman Empire will later, and actually crucify Christians, but that's not what he's saying. It's a social problem. It's the plight of the Christian community that is social in nature. These Christians suffer the lot of outcasts and displaced persons in the very towns and cities in which they, they worked and where they lived. As undesirable resident aliens, they lack the statute, the status and security that they used to, to enjoy. They become a group uh, of gossip. They, sorry, they become the object of gossip, ridicule, and social ostracism. And then this quote from an ancient text that was written at that time, the hated of the human race. So this is why hope is necessary. Because we need something that's going to bring us into something better. We long that things aren't always going to be the way they are, but things are going to be better. So hope is necessary, and... And Peter knows this. And that's what he's writing to them. You need hope. And so it's important to put your hope in the right place. And that's what he's going to address in the rest of this letter. Uh, I read a book, this is a while ago. Uh, it was made into a movie which I haven't seen, but it's called Unbroken. It's about the life of uh, Louis Zamperini, And then there's this great story, he's uh, fighting in World War II. And uh, they're in this place and they're absolutely hopeless they don't know where to go Um, and and it was those people who didn't have hope who suffered the most because they couldn't see an end to their suffering and the people who were able to hold on in really awful and really hard circumstances if you've read the book or you know his life at all you realize uh, he suffered a lot Uh, the reason he was able to get through is because there was a a hope that this wouldn't be the way it always is. A hope that he could eventually go home. So hope is necessary for humans. But that's not where he ends, right? So we see that hope is necessary for humanity. But here's where we really start to dig into his letter, especially into this passage, is that there's an assurance of hope. And this is where Christianity comes in and is a real ball in the midst of suffering and in the face of persecution, especially that these Christians are facing but there is an assurance of hope, that they are not on their own. So if you have your Bibles open, look at me in verses three through five, and he talks about this hope. So after he says, God should be blessed, he says, according to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again, that's the title of this sermon, was we to be born again, to be given new life in Jesus Christ, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's this assurance of hope. Verse 4, there is an inheritance waiting for all those who are believers. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it's kept in, in heaven for you, my God. He says, this is your assurance. It won't always be this way. And the reason we know it won't always be this way is because of Jesus Christ. That's what he says, right? This living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your hope is not based on your circumstances and it's not based on your ability to get out of your circumstances or to improve on. Your assurance and my assurance is that Jesus Christ has done everything. And when we place our hope in Him, we know that we will also have this hope because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, the very thing that seems absolutely impossible. Death seems final and complete in total, and Jesus Christ comes, and he conquers it. But it's not just for himself, it's for everybody who believes in him. This is your assurance. And here's where, here's where I think it's really helpful. Peter doesn't talk about it much here. He will later in this book, but he doesn't talk about it in this passage. Who knows suffering better than Jesus? It's just Nobody. In the Old Testament, there was this prophecy of a coming Messiah who would save everyone. And he had a lot of titles, right? King of kings, Lord of lords, uh, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. You know another title he had? Was a suffering servant. Jesus knew what it's like to suffer. If you're struggling here today in any way, Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. Go to him because he knows He's been through it. Not only he's been through it, but he's made a way for those who follow him to make it through. Uh, so again, I was doing a lot of um, research on this on this uh, passage, and I was wondering how do people who don't have hope how, or, or who don't have faith how do they get through really hard times? I was talking to um, a nine christian on campus about some really hard things that we were going through as a family. And he said, oh, I just hope it gets better. I go, you know, I really appreciate your your, um, your candor and your care for me, but is there any words of comfort you can give me? And he had nothing. He just hoped that our life would be better. And so as I was doing some research, I stumbled upon this thing called uh, Charles Snyder's Hope Theory. It was popularized in the 80s and 90s, actually, from America. And he said, if you want to have hope when you don't have hope, there are three aspects, there's three avenues you can get to get there. And then here's a th- here's his argument. If you don't have hope and you want to get hope, here are three ways. He says, uh, it's focused thoughts, it's developed strategies, and then it's the motivation to achieve them. So uh, if I get some, uh, you need to have clear goals, you need to have a clear, clear path on how to accomplish it, how to get there. And then you have to have the motivation to do it and actually accomplish it. I don't know if you've ever been hopeless before, but that sounds really, really hard. Uh, There have been moments in my life where I've been pretty hopeless. And so to know where I want to go and to develop a a strategy to get there and to have the uh, energy to do it and accomplish it when you don't have hope is really, really hard. And as Christians... You have a hope that doesn't depend on you. And that's where I think our great assurance lies. Is it's not in your trial and suffering and struggle to just make it through or to improve your stance or, or circumstance. I want you. This is a this is a confession that's that's written in the 1600s. And uh, I found this question and answer. So it's a catechism, and the catechism is a question and answer. And I found this to be really helpful. I think it might be up on the slide. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, so here's the question. It's, it's written in Old English, so it's a little hard to understand. So I'm going to paraphrase it as I go along here. But it says, make true believers by the reasons of their imperfections and their many temptations and sin that overtake them. May these believers fall away from the state of grace. Can you lose your salvation? And here's the answer. True believers, and true believers are those who depend on Jesus Christ alone. By reason of the unchangeable love of God, and His decree and His covenant, His promise to give them perseverance, their inseparable union with Christ, His, Christ's continual intercession for them, and the Spirit and the seed of God abiding, dwelling in them, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, because or but they are kept. And this is actually a quote from this passage: they are kept by the power of God through faith under salvation. Do you see where the hope is? If your many temptations, and I'm definitely included in this group our many temptations and our many trials and our many sufferings cause us to fall and stumble and not perform and not do like we ought to does that mean we have fallen away from god he will no longer be gracious to us and this answer quoted from scripture used scripture especially this passage says no because it doesn't rely on you it's the unchangeable love of god it is the intercession of jesus christ for you. He will never fail to cease praying for you if you're in Jesus. That's your assurance in hope. Even if your circumstances never change, which I hope they do, I hope they get better, and you should pray for them to get better. But even if they don't, ultimately, finally, totally, and truly, your assurance is not in this life, but in the eternity that is to come because Jesus Christ has completely conquered sin and death. I don't know if this analogy works, but it really helps me. Uh, I do a, a number of weddings, and I really love weddings. And one of those things that happens uh, at weddings, the part I really love are the wedding vows. We all assume that people love each other when they're up front making vows, uh, and I hope they do. But those vows are not vows of present love. They're vows of Future love. You're saying, "I don't know what happens uh, for richer, for poor, and sickness and health, uh, for better or for worse, forsaking all others to love, honor, and cherish until death does us do part." That's a vow of future love, even though you don't know what's going to happen. Guess what? We have an even better assurance. We have a better vow. We have a better promise. Jesus Christ, when it was the most inconvenient. And the most painful to save his people went to the cross anyway and died and he stayed on that cross. God is devoted to you as a believer. He pursues you. He loves you. He accepts you. He changes you. And you are, you are welcomed into his family. forever. Exactly. All right, so we talked about the necessity of hope, the assurance of hope. Uh, third thing, the object of hope. Now this is where things get a little tricky uh, there, it's a little bit of a theological twist, which Peter does here, but I think it's absolutely vital to get this right. All throughout the Old Testament, there's only really two words that we use to translate into the word hope, and they mean almost exactly the same thing. There's just a slight variance between the two of them. Both of them have to do with this idea of waiting. It's this idea of anticipation, which we kind of already talked about. The second one, so that's one. it's just anticipation, it's the waiting for something that's going to happen in the future, that's positive for you. The second word means almost the same thing, but it, it has this idea of tension to it. So uh, actually, it, it's the root word for a cord that's pulled tight, and then the tension is released when, when the cord is cut. And that is also used in the Old Testament. This idea of you're anticipating, but things are really hard, and you want the tension to be cut, You want that suffering to end when your hope is realized. That's how it's used in the Old Testament. Now, there's a very similar use of the word in the New Testament, with a difference. Because hope is no longer uh, this anticipation of something to come. It suddenly becomes a person. And that's where everything changes. This is where I think... Knowing the Bible well and talking about belief is really important because it's not the strength of your faith that matters It's the object of your faith And the object of your faith is in a person and that person is jesus christ You want to have hope it rests in a person That hope becomes personified that that god takes on flesh and becomes a person in order to give other people like us hope. Hope is tied to what Jesus has already done, what he's finished, and what he's accomplished. And that's why, if you have your beginning, if you have your Bibles open, I want to look at verse 8. Um, he says, He says these really interesting things in verse 6 and 7. You're rejoicing for a little while, although you have various trials for this genuine pessimist of your faith that's more precious than gold. But in verse 8, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with great joy, with this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How can he say these things to people who are suffering on a daily basis because the object of their hope is Jesus? Because they don't have to hope in the future blindly. They can look back to what Jesus Christ has already done and know that he reigns supreme, that he is king. And if he can conquer death, and if he can suffer for their sins and be raised to life, then there is no reason to put your hope anywhere else. I used to think for many years growing up that my faith in Jesus Christ in my salvation was a little bit like writing a Bible. And I just need Jesus to help me get started. If he can just keep me from wobbling and falling off from one side to the other and give me a really good push, then I can pedal the rest of my way and make it. And that wore me out. Because I was always trying to perform. I was always trying to do enough. I was always trying to be better. But the Bible shows us in here, Peter says, no, no, the object of your hope is what matters. It's in Jesus Christ. It's not the strength of your faith. It's not how tightly you can hold on to him, but it's how tightly he can hold on to you, and he will never fail you. That's your hope. You are in the grip of God. He pursued you, and he loves you, and he has, he, has, he has made you his. And he is a great God who loves to be merciful and gracious. Um, this was really striking to me. There were their brothers actually, who were missionaries, and uh, they came to America. And John Wesley was very well known. He is still very well known in some
1: some ways for
0: um, for his his preaching and his belief. But he thought of himself as this great person. He said, "Come, he's going to you know America was, was still new, and he was going to come he's going to do all this good work." And he actually had to go back to to his home because he was. Not doing well at all. And he wrote in his journal, um, I went to America to convert the natives, but oh, who shall convert me? And it's at that moment, in that season of his life, where he thought he was doing enough stuff to earn God's pleasure and favor, and he had failed in almost every measurable action he could have. And so he makes this cry, Who's going to convert me? And it's actually on the boat trip home. That he realizes his object needs to be Jesus, not in his work and not in his performance. It has to be Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, so final point that he step Peter says here in this passage. we See, hope's necessity, hope's assurance, hope's object, and then the growth of hope. And this is where actually we come full circle. Why do you need hope? Because you're suffering. Uh, Well, how does hope grow? And his sword gets hard. Hope grows through suffering. Uh, if you have your Bibles open again, verse 6 and, and 7, he talks about you rejoice, and he's talking about this inheritance that he just previously talked about, verse 4 and verse 5. Uh, in verse 6, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ do you realize what he's saying here he uses an analogy of gold being purified and gold has a really high melting point if you look at gold uh, especially a roll up of gold you can't pick out the imperfections when it's hard and solid even though it looks like gold there's still imperfections in there how do you get it out how do you make gold pure You heat it up so hot that it melts. That all the impurities separate and often you actually heat it so much that the imperfections burn off. And that's the analogy that Peter uses here. How does your faith grow? How does hope grow? It's through testing in fire. Ooh, I don't like this. Um, I want faith to grow and I want hope to come when life is easy and the the path in life is, is smooth and long and straight. But it's often through suffering because what Peter is saying here is when your faith gets tested and when hope seems not as certain, that's when you realize that anything that you trust in that isn't God will ultimately fail you. If you put your hope in work, I have done that. It will fail you. Because work uses you. Work is only good for you as long as you're a really good and hard worker. What happens if you're injured, or what happens if you're sick, or what happens if someone comes in who's better at your job than you are, your work will fail you. Or in your your academic performance, or in how much money you can make, or in your relationships, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But none of those places can stand in the place of God Himself. So anything we put as ultimate or supreme, the one thing we can't lose when suffering comes it shows us just how faulty anything that isn't God actually is. But God will never leave us nor forsake us. That even in the midst of really hard and harsh suffering, God has conquered, God has made a way, God has made all things new. This is hard. But sometimes the only way to grow in your hope is when you have nothing less. You no, know, when you have nothing left. I don't have this quote here, but um, a person who suffered greatly in her life, uh, a woman by the name of Corey Tenbohm, said, "You don't. Uh, sometimes you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have." And I love that quote, and I don't like it at the same time. But Jesus is enough. He is enough for us. And the way that we grow in our hope is actually through suffering, because we realize that our suffering this um, this hymn that came to mind is actually based off this passage. And uh, I think I might even have a lyrics up here somewhere. Yes, thank you. How firm a foundation! So this is this is the uh, the person who's writing this hymn is is speaking for God. This this is what God is saying to His people uh, when through fiery trials. Your pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, will be your supply. The flame will not hurt hurt you. I only design your dross to consume, your gold to refine. That soul that on Jesus does lean for repose, I will not, I will not forsake those foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, this is what Jesus says: I'll never, no, never. No, never forsake. If you have Jesus, you can go through any suffering. Pray for suffering dead, work for suffering dead, absolutely. But you have an assurance, you have a hope that is certain because the object of your faith is Jesus Christ. And turn to Him and go nowhere else. Um, Someone who suffered greatly, uh, Louisa Stead, it's not someone I was very familiar with, but. She wrote, again, a very old hymn that I grew up singing and uh, that I've sung at the the lowest points of my own life. When I was really in a hard and dark place and I didn't know what to do or where to turn, it's her hymn, especially the chorus, that I really turned to. And then I looked up how this this hymn got penned. Well, she was on a beach. Uh, She was about to go on a missionary trip with her husband and their young child, and it was the last thing they were doing before they were starting to do fundraising and start selling all their stuff to move to another country to do missionary work. And so they were taking a vacation there on the beach and there was a four-year-old who was uh, out in the ocean and was drowning and Louisa's husband went out to save the boy, the four-year-old, and he himself actually lost his life while trying to attempt uh, saving this, this four-year-old boy. And so Louisa uh, didn't know what to do. She didn't know where to turn. Just heartbroken. And she, two years later, writes this, this hymn, this song, and she talks about it. it is so sweet, again, it's old English, tis, but it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, to take him at his word, to rest upon his promise, to know this is what the Lord says, thus saith the Lord. And here's the hymn I would sing to myself, I right? would say over and over in my head, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. And here's a line that always gets me. Oh, for grace, to trust him more. Do you know that Jesus Christ is not just your greatest hope and your only hope, but he is beautiful. He is beautiful to only. May we have more grace to trust in Jesus in our times of suffering, to run and turn to him. Because one day, one day he's coming again. He will make everything perfect and beautiful the way the Lord is supposed to be. You know what's beautiful about that day? Is you will have perfect fellowship with God and be fully pleased and fully satisfied. That's our hope. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, uh, none of us want to suffer. None of us want to, to go through fiery trials, and yet sometimes we find ourselves there. So in those moments, at those times. Would you help us to turn to you? Uh, Lord, would we turn to each other, the body? Those those of us who are believers, who can turn to one another, this church, uh, those who find great comfort uh, with other people, that Jesus is our ultimate hope. He is our ultimate assurance. Ways that we can lose our salvation, because it cannot be lost. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, while we were sinners. we have ultimate hope situation or circumstances now, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. End all suffering. Make your kingdom rule and reign from now until eternity. Praise Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you. May you provide a way. that doesn't depend on us. Help us to trust in you even when it's hard. Lord, you have pursued us. You fought for us. And ultimately you bring us into the perfect union with Jesus Christ. You are our living hope. Thank you. Praise God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I announce the, the benediction, I want to ask you to do one thing as you leave here today. In any area where you're suffering, or any area where you have doubt, would you turn to Jesus? Would you give it to Him? Would you put your trust in him, even if it's small, even if it's little, even when you doubt? Because Jesus is kind, merciful, gentle, and gracious, and he will win the victory. So hear this benediction as you go here today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You may abound